Amy, it's great to see you. Thank, thanks for coming on Creative Culture to talk about a very interesting topic, a mystical topic. It's one of those areas where people see it from different perspectives. There's a lot of other subconcepts that roll up into it, <clears throat> and would love to pick your brain, you know, here today to see, you know, given your background and what you do, I'd love to hear about you, what you've been doing. And I guess to start off, and then the, you brought up some interesting discussion points and some some previous conversation together that we'd definitely love to dive into. But first, welcome, <clears throat> thank you. And can you tell us, you know, tell us some stuff about yourself, Amy, before we sure. jump into this topic and why you're passionate about this topic. Yeah, so um, it's awesome to be here today with a fellow Eagle. So um, I haven't seen and, and really spoken with you at length since we graduated from Boston College. So it was fun being able to be a Division One athlete there. And I think that really set the tone for how I wanted to live my life. I distinctly remember sitting on the bus after we were um, unfortunately defeated in the Big East tournament. Um, and thinking what was going to be next, what was, what was going to be my legacy, what was next in my life. Cause that had being a, an athlete, it was such a big part of my life. And I was unsure about my next steps. Um, I was very fortunate that I was actually accepted to law school upon completion at BC. Um, but I wasn't sure that was right, my right path. And it was really important to me that I was involved in um, influencing and improving the lives of others. And, and I just wasn't sure the best plan of attack for that. Um, I had the opportunity that summer to come home um, to give back in our community. Um, it's always been really important to my family that um, giving back and, and serving others is, is always been emphasized. And I had the amazing opportunity to actually start coaching softball that summer. And that's when I realized that I really wanted to be involved in education. Um, there were certainly students that had opportunities when I was at Boston College that were um, vastly greater than the opportunity that I had growing up um, and education. Um, and then, but I also met a lot of individuals that my own education background was vastly, um, I don't want to say superior, but at least more um, academically focused. And the inequities in education was something that I was astutely aware of, and it was really important to me. So from coaching, I dove right into teaching. I was a um, an English teacher for six years. Um, from there, I went and got my master's degree in education leadership, and then um, I entered uh, my next phase because I thought I really I had the influence of over you know 160 kids a year. And my next step was how can I influence? How can I impact the lives of even more people? And so the next natural step was to go into school administration. So from there. I had the amazing honor to be the assistant principal and then the principal of nationally ranked and celebrated um, high school, University High School in Tucson, Arizona. Um, is always a top 20 ranked um, high school. Um, and the opportunities that students had at that school were tremendous. Um, we had, um, in my time there, tripled the number of African-American Latino students, um, quadrupled the number of students who are on free or reduced lunch, so that we could really eliminate the poverty gap through high, high quality education and, and provide students an amazing opportunity to um, go to amazing universities. So, um, and then finally, I think the, the last kind of capstone in my education journey was um, I 
steps to get my doctorate in education leadership um, because it was important to me of how can I continue to widen that um, sphere of influence. So, um, and you're being very humble, Amy. I mean, I think one of the things that uh, you know people need to know about is is what you've been doing between those lines, between those milestones that you're having some major impact. You know, been following you know what you've been doing over the years, and and I know a big thing for you is you know setting that right tone in the culture and having that impact that you want to have and that you're passionate about that you've put a lot of effort in to get into where you are now and what you're looking to do with others in the future. So sure. sorry to interrupt, but I that. no, I appreciate that. And I think a lot of people assume that if you just you buy a certain curriculum, um, you have a certain practice in place that great things will happen. And there's certainly processes that you really have to have to have a really good system or organization. But those have always been secondary to me. Um, my main goal has always been to invest in my people. Um, our, our joke has always been, you know, people over props, people over process, because if you have outstanding people in your organization, um, then your organization is going to be successful. And really the, the impact that I've always wanted to make was finding the best people that I possibly could. I've always had the um, motto that I want to be the least talented person in my organization. I always want to find people who are more knowledgeable in certain areas, have experiences that I've never had, because ultimately that's going to make our organization better. And I think as a leader, what my job is to really provide the structures and the opportunities so that amazing people can be left essentially to their own devices to do an outstanding job. And that my job is to eliminate barriers and my job is to support and validate those efforts, um, which I think is really important. I've really tried to adopt a transformational leadership model where um, I'm, I'm providing the resources so that my community and my, my employees can be making decisions and they're not just my decisions. And, um, and that's can be frustrating as a leader because it's certainly faster. It's certainly short term, more efficient if you're making all of the decisions. Um, but that more transactional approach um, doesn't build outstanding culture and climate with your faculty and staff. Um, it's really important in your community if you really want your employees and, and the other constituent groups that make up your organization to feel valued, to feel vested, and to feel like it's really their organization and they're not just um, employees of the organization, they have to have some say. And um, there's certainly opportunities in areas where it's not um, it doesn't make sense for everybody to weigh in at all times. And ultimately you as the leader have to have, you know, sit in, in on those decisions. But I, I think where my success has really lied, that is, is only a few times and, and it, it never fails. Every time I think, oh, I don't need to bring in the whole group to weigh in on this choice. Um, every time I, I think that and I, and I play that light, it, it, it bites me. And um, because you really want to set up a culture where your community um, trusts you as a leader. And if they know that you're going to come to them for their opinion, for their insight, you're going to ask them to also help co-lead these initiatives, then they own it as well. And then it's not just you pushing this agenda. This is really an idea a value that your entire organization likes. Um, and then truthfully, the few times that you might have to just make that call as a leader, because sometimes you do. And um, and that's not always fun because it's always a lot better when you can involve everyone. But I think then you can go back to your groups, um, your leadership councils, your department heads, or whoever you break up 
those conversations with, if you can tell them, hey guys, I have to make this decision on my own. I just wanna give you a heads up. This isn't coming out of nowhere. They tend to then value when you have to make those hard choices as a leader because they know that um, you know, nine times out of 10 that you're really coming to them for their opinion and their insight. And then I have found that they trust you when you have to, when you have to just, you know, make that managerial executive decision. Well, Amy, it's, you brought up a lot of like really interesting topics and a lot of things roll up into this, this thing we call culture, which is, again, it's a mystical in, in the sort of sense. There's a lot of things that roll up. One of the things you brought up was trust. One of the things you brought up was leadership. Another thing you mentioned was influence. And, you know, an approach that you mentioned was was about people over process. I was wondering if we could hone in on that one in particular, unpack it a little bit, and maybe you can give me an example of where that really applied and worked out for you. And, and really, what does that mean? Sure. So I think in education, um, there's always that next hot initiative. And I'm sure that is is common in, in other industries as well. Of like, this is the next big thing. This is what's happening. Um, and, I, and I think that people get really tired of the next big thing. Um, they get tired of an initiative because they wonder, how long is this going to last? How long should I buy into this idea? Right, right. Um, what I really found is that if we're a values-based organization rather than than kind of an initiatives-based organization, your values are going to test, um, you know, test time. And, and that's what's really important is that your values should be able to pass that test of time. And um, so in education, you know, for example, um, I would say state testing and accountability assessments is always a big thing. And there's a lot of approaches that you can do for that. Um, some there's some schools that have decided to have a real transcribed curriculum and tell teachers you're going to teach this on this day at this time and you don't need good teachers if you're going to do that you don't need you know creative employees that want to be innovative if you're going to do that and I always like to say if your employees could be YouTube videos then why do we have why do we have employees why do, why do we have people if they can be replaced by a video online and what we've really looked at always is like, what are our values? What are our expectations? And how do we trust people? How do we trust that we hired the best people imaginable for this position? And how do we involve them in solving these problems as opposed to investing in a really expensive curriculum or a really expensive professional development that's just not going to sit and support our core values? And, I, and I've been to some training that are amazing, um, but they don't necessarily support the values that we have in our, in our organization and that culture. And so when you bring in those, those extra um, ideas and those external viewpoints, then you're also second guessing and you're showing your community that you don't trust them um, to solve the problem. And so what I've always found is that before we look at external um, opportunities, whether it's a curriculum, whether it's a training, whether it's an initiative, is that we talk to our people first and say, what do we already know? What do we value about this? What do we don't know? Um, and so that we can really tailor and design opportunities to support our community um, versus bringing someone in that shows, and that when you bring someone in without talking to your community, it shows that you don't necessarily trust their experiences. Um, and that you want to know their experiences. Because truthfully, I think sometimes the best training and professional development comes from within your community and um, asking people, what do you want to learn? And then what are you willing to bring back to our community so that people can learn from you? Because that's um, top-down initiatives just don't work. And it doesn't matter what kind of level of trust I build with my community. 
they're not going to be well received. Um, they're going to be really well received though when they come from within and they really um, defend that value. Well, that's that's very interesting. So I, you know, from and correct me if I'm wrong. I just you know to kind of recap that point. You know, the process that you refer to was you know maybe a new curriculum, like the process to get to the process that the curriculum offers, but does it match up to the values? Is it match up to what people expect, which is, you know, your staff, yourself, your peers and so forth. And as the feedback, have the voices been heard, you know, to get that feedback to ensure that it does match up because we could have assumptions, but it may not be always, you know, correct, but getting that, that buy-in and that information from people, therefore, I think I'm catching what you're saying is, you know, people first before that process can get you that sustainable bought into high performance system, so to speak. And then maybe processes can help tweak that. But did I, did I capture that? Yeah, you know, I think so. I mean, I, I made a, you know, another example is I, I changed school. So I was at, um, I was in a really large school district, over a hundred schools for those nine years when I was at that, wow. at that school. And um, I had an opportunity, again, this is this is a people move to move school districts to a, a much smaller district um, in a very different type of high school. But I made that decision to move because the superintendent that I, that I wanted to work with and that I wanted to be mentored and I wanted to grow. And so I, when I described that to my community saying like, look, I'm not leaving because I don't believe in what we do. It's that I want someone to guide and, and work with me. And I, and as much as I think it's important that I provide that to my employees, I wanted to model for them that, that I need that too, as a leader so that I'm always growing and learning. But, um, you know, accepting a new job in the middle of a global pandemic presented challenges where I'm asking people right away, I need you to trust me. I've had zero time to build relationships with you. I've had zero time for me to prove to you that I have your best intentions. And so I had to show them right away that I value you and who you are and your experiences, regardless of what I know about you as a teacher, what I know about you as a professional. It's just, I value, I value you though as a human. And in order for us to get on board, um, I need to know about what cultures exists, what process exists, what are the values so that when we were creating strategic plan to get through a pandemic, but also not just to survive a pandemic, to, but to come out better than the school ever was at the end of a pandemic. It required a lot of trust um, and also it required a lot of opportunity for, for teachers to weigh in, employees to weigh in on decisions that they had never been asked to weigh in on. And that process um, was cumbersome, but I think valuable because if you're going to go through some of the changes that, uh, that we're pursuing right now, it's incredibly important that people know um, that, that what my expectations are, that you can trust me, that if you do X, Y, and Z, that this is this is what I need from you, but also that they know that if they offer me insight and opinions, that I'm going to respect it and use that in my decision making, um, because it's it's incredibly. And I like I can't. I said I mentioned it earlier. Like every time you think maybe this little thing won't be a big deal, um, it always it always ends up being a big deal. So I think that's always one of the big pieces of advice I give to leaders that if you're going to ask for input and you're going to ask for your employees to collaborate with you and you don't at least acknowledge the feedback that you've received and reflect on that with them that you've heard them um and it's it's going to be 
a little bit of a disaster because no one wants to then waste their time with a leader that doesn't value them. Yeah, this is this is a theme that I'm I'm seeing for sure is that you know your the, the approach is you know the people are the most valuable asset mm-hmm. and the created culture sort of speak that you know there's natural cultures that we use that term of the the experiences that are either people have born into grew up in influenced by and constantly you know reminded of you know everyone brings these types of things into a say like a workplace culture and it may not be people first what's the culture that you're trying to create and have created with others and you know but with leadership from yourself no doubt Uh, it's it's interesting that you know you mentioned too something about sustainable and trans transformational approaches and I, i wanted to ask you you know from your perspective that's that's a motto and a method of operating of people first that you're delivering how you know with your staff for example what have things have they done that you've picked up on that you know they're buying into the people first and what have they done you have any examples of that how it's kind of flowed yeah. down well, maybe you could talk about something like sure. that so i think that there's different ways ultimately you want everyone to have an opportunity to provide feedback and to be leaders on campus but and, and or your organization if it's not a school um but everyone has different comfort levels and experiences as well as just time you know some people want to give more time they want to be more vested they want to be mentored other people they they just want to do the job and so i think it's important to have different layers of expectation um i have 19 standing community groups that i meet with every month so it's a lot, but these are all different groups that provide a tremendous amount of feedback to me that I then can can put into to plans. And there is a mechanism that the information from all these different groups all come back to each other so that everybody also knows what's happening. And not everyone needs to do that many groups. And I think once I've, I've show I've been at this particular school for a while, um, I won't need to have that many. Um, committee groups, but especially this year was important for me to learn from as many different angles as as humanly possible. But what you want, I think it's important to provide those different types of opportunities. And some of those are, are, these are leaders on campus already. They're already valued as leaders. And so I need them to be able to carry this message of, of leadership as well as a message of what we're doing, what our culture is, who we are, what we want to be, so that that can be distributed. And some people don't realize they're leaders. Um, they right, right. aren't the ones, they're not the ones in charge, but they're people that, that listen to them. They watch them, they admire them. And sometimes those leaders, um, aren't necessarily providing great leadership. Um, and they don't, and they, and they'll, they might get frustrated if you were to call them on it saying, I don't want to be a leader. I'm not trying to be a leader, but they're indirectly influencing how your organization is working. And if they're having a bad day or if they're disgruntled, that message is being carried, whether they intended it to be or not. And so I also think it's a really good opportunity to get people in your group that I call them the contrarians, that every good leadership group has to have someone on there that's going to find fault with every decision and every idea. Um, And 
sometimes that can be exhausting and cumbersome, but the contrarians are also, um, I think, really good checkpoints for the bright and shiny people too, who that everything is an exciting idea and let's do this. And they have maybe no concept of time or money or, or efforts that, that a lot of those things might take um, to improving your organization. So I think it's always good to have a, a contrarian or two because they tend to have really good valid ideas uh, you know, in reasonable suggestions of like, hey guys, did you consider this or did you consider that? And so I think it's also important to bring those people along. Sometimes leaders say, get the people who they perceive as negative or who don't want to jump on board with everything you want to do. They don't want them around. And and I get it because sometimes that can be draining and you want to surround yourself with people that are like-minded, but you're ultimately not going to understand the full organization that you're a part of. And you're not going to understand everyone's well, views if you're only hearing what you want to well, hear. Well, yeah, that, that's talking about mm -hmm. you could be blindsided with risk yeah. that was never considered. So like that's where, you know, diverse perspectives and making sure that those people are great devil's advocates and they need to know that information to yep. plan for it. They are. And, you know, I think the best compliment that I received when I left my last school, um, one of my teachers said, your teachers have no idea um, how lucky they're going to be to be tricked into leadership roles that they never knew they wanted. And I, <laughs> I said, but, um, you know, but ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, this is how you keep really outstanding people in your organization because they feel like it's theirs. They're not just employees, they're leading this charge. And ultimately, then this is how you attract top talent because they want a voice and they want to know that their efforts are are, are valid, um, that if they're going to go above and beyond, that they're going to be recognized and celebrated. And I mean, you want to have an organization that's known for being innovative and being bold. And in order for that to happen, you have to have that trust and people that feel really supported in taking some of those risks. Yeah, the, you know, the kind of unpack one more topic that is related to this. And I know it's something that we've talked about offline a few times, but this sounds like ownership, you know, ownership in being a part of this culture. Whereas you mentioned well, leaders, they may not know they're going to become leaders, but they will. And, and, and the process will lead to ownership. Whereas you're using committee groups to voice concerns, and I'm sure there's not a really good mechanism to capture that feedback to make sure. So there's an ownership of the, being part of developing the culture as well. You, you mentioned before to me about giving up control in, in a transformational environment, and that's sometimes scary for people, but it can lead to great things. Can you... If we if we can sum that up, because we you know we talked about people first, not process, sustainability, ownership is that encapsulating, you know, theme that's rolling into a, this created culture. If we can, you know, kind of finish off our discussion about a transformational approach, and what about giving up control? And can you unpack that a little bit for us? Sure. So, and there's, I mean, I think every year that I've been a, a leader in a school, there's been an initiative that I've been really passionate about. I'm like, this is going to be great for our kids. This is going to really support our school. Um, and I brought it to my leadership teams and they're either quick or they're to say no, or they're passively saying no. And, um, and it's disappointing. And I think I will always try to convince a group saying, did you look at this? Here's the data. Did you consider this? But ultimately, if your groups 
aren't ready, aren't positive and they're not receptive to it. What that also means is that you have to trust your people and you realize they're not there yet. And that doesn't mean never. It just means that at that point, I mean, that's the pulse of your organization. At that point, it's not an appropriate time. Because again, then if you decide to take that transactional approach and just kind of ramrod the initiative through, you're showing your people, I don't trust you. I don't care about your comfort level. I don't care about what else is going on at work, that this is more important than you. And um, in, in you can't do that because it's going to fail. Because ultimately, um, I'm guessing just about every single time when you're gonna push something through, you're going to need all of those, all those people in your organization to carry that message. And it's not gonna be done with authenticity. So, um, that's happened in the past when we've looked at certain curriculum changes or structures in our school that we wanted to do um, or ways that we were going to support students or, or teachers. And um, I'll give a, a, an example. So I was really looking at, um, I'm kind of a, a, I am the devil's advocate of the college board and advanced placement. Um, right now it's one of the only games in town to show advanced learning and college preparation, but it's expensive. There's some flaws with the curriculum and you're kind of at the mercy of the college board. And so we've been really um, the last school I was at in this school too, looking for more opportunities for dual enrollment because you can collaborate with universities and you're not tied to a test. You have more opportunities for deeper learning. So with that being said, um, we were trying to move away from advanced placement English uh, for our seniors and move entirely to college writing and our community. Um, of teachers just they didn't get it they didn't like it um, only one or two teachers had this special degree to teach it they felt like i don't i don't like this and it's uncomfortable and as frustrating and disappointing as it was because i think our kids were excited our parents were excited we had to table it um you know flash forward 18 months later um, a teacher came forward and said i think this would be a great idea and so then you're like Fantastic! Like I, th I think that you have a great idea, and so sometimes <laughs> it just takes time to let to let those ideas seep and people to see kind of how they will respond. Um, there's other times where maybe that idea doesn't come back in its original form at all, but um, ultimately it didn't matter how badly I wanted it or how important I thought it was for our particular community. If the people who actually had to implement it were not ready and didn't feel supported or excited about it, it was going to fail. And I could have forced those teachers and said, you're going to teach this anyway. But the message that the kids would have received either directly or indirectly was my teacher doesn't like to teach this. They don't feel comfortable teaching it. Why do we have to have this new curriculum? And um, whether they intended that message to be shared or not, kids would have felt it and then it would have failed. And so um, and that's a lot of power to give employees sometimes. And sometimes um, it's scary as a leader to say that. But um, when you, they then knew my teachers at that point said, gosh, she actually does trust and validate our ideas. And so when I was bringing up things later on, they said, you know, she heard us on that. Maybe we should meet her halfway and figure out a way to implement another idea. Um, and so I think, you know, those are, those are just things you have to really consider too. Cause it's anytime you, you force an issue, um, unless you're the one that's carrying the message 100%, then you're taking a risk if your organization doesn't feel ready to carry that same message. That's very interesting. It almost reminds me of a, a proof of concept in a way where <laughs> it takes a good quality initiative that's successful and proven and to form that trust, then to do the next one in a way. 
but no, it's it. yeah. Your your insight is gold, and I really appreciate this, Amy. I think I think there's a lot of nuggets, and I just I'm gonna throw one thing out at you, a little curveball, just in in one word. Okay, maybe two words. What does culture mean to you? So, so culture, I would say culture is everything. I mean, culture eats process for breakfast is what I used to tell my teachers all the time is that um, is that it doesn't matter how great your process is. If you don't have an outstanding culture, a bad culture will eat a good process for breakfast. So I always say culture is everything. All right. Amy, couldn't say any better. Thank you so much. And I look you. forward to doing more of this with you. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Mike.